Welcome to AIC Clinician Corner. I'm Dr. Renee Rosado. I'm Dr. Vinia Arguelles. I'm Courtney Neustadt, LICSW. Today on Clinician Corner, we will be talking about grief and loss, and our expert is Sarah Hopkins. Sarah, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Hopkins. I am a social worker. Currently, I am a social work instructor here in South Carolina, um, in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and I teach at Winthrop University. Um, I came to uh, Winthrop University. I am actually a transplant from... New York, um, from upstate New York, from Binghamton, New York. Prior to coming to Winthrop and to South Carolina, I was an instructor in the social work program at Binghamton University, where I actually taught Courtney. That's where Courtney and I met. Yes, woohoo! And prior to that, I was a hospice social worker where I spent um, the bulk of my career. And more recently, since coming to South Carolina and settling here at Winthrop, I was lucky enough to get involved with our local hospice, hospice and community care down here and do some contract work on the side um, with hospice and community care. And certainly since the pandemics um, in March, I've been doing a lot of community um, grief and loss support and education, so. Awesome. So to start, can you just tell us what grief is? Oh goodness, such a big question. Sure. Um, and I am I'm one of these people that students joke sometimes and pe- people joke when they see me coming. It's almost like, oh no, here comes that grief lady. Let us hide, duck and cover. Here she comes. She's going to make us talk about our feelings. Um, because talking about grief, it may sound odd, but talking about grief excites me. Um, I think grief is something that we all go through throughout our lives, but we don't talk about it. It's something we very much stigmatize, Mm -hmm. but we are grieving throughout the course of our lives. What we do, unfortunately, is we turn grief into celebration. And a very simplistic example is think about going from kindergarten to first grade kindergarten to first grade we have kindergarten graduation it's Mm -hmm. so exciting we do little caps and gowns we celebrate it it's wonderful but on the other side of that there's also loss a child has to say goodbye to the kindergarten teacher a child has to say goodbye to that first classroom experience or the first classroom experience in the elementary school to the classmates that they're used to and we're not really good at saying to that child or to that student, what are you going to miss about kindergarten? Because those feelings of loss, we're not comfortable with. We try to make everything happy and we try to celebrate everything along the way. And then what happens for most people in my experience is that then a death happens or a major loss happens. The the loss that gives us permission, if you will, to grieve happens and then all of these small losses along the way that society hasn't given us permission to grieve that major death happens that major move happens that major event happens and then it's almost like a volcano has exploded and all of the grief comes out at once and people don't necessarily know what exactly they're grieving so grief is a cumulative experience 
of all of the losses that we face during our life. So Sarah, you're already letting us know that we all experience grief. We all experience losses. So I want to ask you, there is any normal way to experience grief? That word normal. What is normal? That word is a word that, I don't know, I feel like we put too much stock into. Like what, what is normal? I don't know what normal is. I think there, there are adaptive ways to grieve and maladaptive ways to grieve. And I think even adaptive versus maladaptive, I think we even have to be very cautious with that because it, that can be very subjective as well. I think a better way or a healthier way to grieve is to emote. Like if you are feeling sad, to say to someone, I am feeling sad. And in my experience working with people who are grieving, unfortunately, again, as a society, we give people the message that if some one of your loved one dies, you have three days to get over it. You have three bereavement days. And you only get three bereavement days if the loved one is a specific relation to you. If they're not that specific relation, you don't even get those three days. So we give that message. And then there's a lot of things that say too and a lot of the literature that's out there, in a year, you're supposed to be over it. Like you're supposed to have moved on from it. Yeah. There is no normal way, but what we really need to lean into is you need to figure out when you're feeling those lows, when you're feeling the grief, we need to lean into those feelings and we need to express those feelings rather than trying to compartmentalize and bottle them up and let them come out as other feelings. I work with a lot of, lot of folks, I'm guessing the two of you too, when working with students, you see those iceberg emotions. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, especially with the pandemic and the losses related to the pandemic, I'm a highly anxious person just by nature. And the pandemic and the loss of control with the pandemic, my husband likes to say, has brought out my fancy holiday anxiety, like cleaning the baseboards before everyone comes over, like just that fancy, pretty anxiety. And when I get anxious, so the anxiety is, is the feeling that's under the water that I'm not letting out. But what people can see the tip of the iceberg is like anger, frustration, and impatience, because that, that's what I feel in control of. But underneath is that anxiety, that fear, that loss of control. Same thing is what typically happens with, with grief. It's that grief that's underneath. It's that raw sadness. It's that feeling of loss of control. But what people are displaying on the outside is typically anger, is typically fear, is typically frustration. People tend to, in my experience, be really nervous to show that raw sadness because society has told them that they shouldn't. They should keep going. They should, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They should get over it. They shouldn't feel so bad. Someone else has it worse than they do. Um, you know, suck it up. They're going to be okay. Don't cry. People, strength is getting through it. Um, so the healthiest way to do it is to be able to name the emotion and work through the emotion. People all the time will come to me and they'll start crying and they apologize for the tears. And I'm like, please don't apologize for tears. I think one of the strongest things that we can do is to be emotionally vulnerable and to say, you know what? I'm not doing okay right now. 
Yeah, it takes a lot of strength to be able to do that. Yeah. And knowing who you can do that with. And I think especially right now as college students, you know, certainly I teach social work students and trying to navigate with social work students who want to be, obviously want to be social workers, want to help people in the future. They're like, but how can I help other clients in the future if I'm struggling myself? Well, you're human first. We're all human first. And just because you want to go on to be a helping professional doesn't mean that you can't struggle yourself, especially right now when we're all going through this cumulative loss experience. What's not okay and what's maladaptive and what's not normal, if you will, is to just buck up and keep going because eventually that volcano is going to explode. Absolutely. I think people can relate to what you're saying. So it's super important. When someone tells you that they um, never are going to get over a loss, how do you respond to that? I believe that we don't ever get over a loss. I believe when you lose someone or something that you loved or cared about deeply enough, you don't ever get over it. The, the model of grief that I really lean into in my work, um, I would say the model that most people know about, they're, they're most familiar with is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages. Um, which is a lovely model. I take nothing, like there's nothing wrong with it, but she came up with those, those five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, finally getting to acceptance. She wrote those in 1969 in her book on death and dying. And she wrote about those for actually for folks who were diagnosed with a terminal illness. And those were written for folks who were diagnosed with a terminal illness to accept their own terminal illness and to accept the fact that they were going to die in the near future. She never wrote those with the intent for people to use those with the grief after the loss. But we've taken it and we've put it into bereavement after the loss, which you can do. But we expect it to be nice, neat, linear, and you get to acceptance and you're done. It doesn't work that way. The model I really lean into for my own personal grief and working with others around grief. And what I love about this model is I've used it a lot to talk about the pandemic and losses outside of death is J. William Warden's Four Tasks of Mourning or the tier model. Um, And it's easy to remember it's the tier model. T is to accept the reality of the loss. E is to experience the emotions. A is to adjust to the world. And R is to reinvest in the new reality. So that R piece, reinvesting in the new reality without your loved one or reinvesting in the new reality after the loss while honoring and remembering. So if you've had a loss and it's a loss that you want to remember, how do you honor and remember that person? They're not, they may not still physically be here with you, but how do you honor and remember them going forward? How do you take them with you. You don't ever necessarily get over it, but the loss, your relationship to the loss changes over time. So I'll disclose a little bit here as we go forward. And I'll disclose because it's something I can talk about because my own relationship with the loss has changed over time. 
Um, my brother died of, of a heroin overdose in March of 2018. So it'll be three years this coming March. Again, I'm looked at as a grief expert. I don't like the word expert. I don't feel like I'm an expert on anything other than my own life. That is what I am an expert of. I have a lot of experience with grief and loss, but I am an expert of nothing other than of myself. And some days that's questionable. <laughs> but anywho, um, when, it, when it comes to my own loss with the death of my brother, it's almost three years. I miss him terribly. There are some days that it's still pretty heavy, but for the most part, I can remember him, I can think about him, and there aren't days that are that are tearful. There are moments that are still tearful, but for the most part, I can remember him and it's happier times. When that loss first happened, those first few months after, it was waking up in the morning, full-fledged sobbing, really, really heavy. That first year just, it was so heavy where now it's it's lighter but i always know when when he died on march 2nd i always know as i approach march 2nd it's gonna feel a little bit heavier i know looking at my own grief based on the calendar i know moments of birthdays anniversaries i know certain times when that grief will feel heavier but then i also know there's going to be surprises along the way I know there's going to be days where I wake up or in the middle of a day, I'm just going to feel what, what literature talks about as grief bullets. It's almost like you're shot and you've never seen the bullet coming. You don't know what happens and it's just out of nowhere where the grief feels heavy again. Or sometimes it's a particular smell. Um, my grandmother died when I was 19. Um, I was super duper close to her and it was so funny. I don't know if ever, either of you have ever been to a Christmas tree store kind of like an alley it's just a random store random they have random stuff <laughs> so I was in there one day and I needed soap so I bought this soap and I came home and I'm like washing my hands and I come downstairs and I have like tears in my eyes my husband's like what is wrong with you and I'm like that soap smells like my grandmother's house and he's just like rolling his eyes at me he's like you're nuts and my sister came over a couple days later I'm like go wash your hands she's like why I'm like just go wash your hands and she comes downstairs and there's tears in her eyes and my husband rolls his eyes again there's certain things like that where our senses, especially smell, mm -hmm. can bring things up like that, that trigger that like loss reaction. So I don't think, I, I would respect that person and say, you're right, you're probably never going to get over that loss, but I think our relationship with the loss can change. And there's a really neat graphic that's out there that shows, um, it's like a double circle where we're, we're the larger circle outside of the loss and the loss is the smaller circle inside of us and how the space around the loss gets bigger over time, but the loss is still inside of us. But that space around it becomes bigger, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So, Sarah, you share a lot of things about yourself, and I can relate about that. I also lost my brother very close, and I, yeah, I just can relate to that. Like, I believe I live my life now with having him in my heart. Like, yeah. how he actually will live this life now to continue. Like, it is like his legacy. And how I also going to teach my nephews and my nieces to be like him, like to enjoy life, because I believe he actually enjoyed a lot of life. So yeah. I believe that is the biggest lesson. What are other experiences that that people actually live 
with all this grieving because it's actually losing people. But but what happened with breakups? What happened when you're not able to play the sport that you want to play now? Those are tough too because those become those losses can be even messier because the literature calls those disenfranchised losses. So those are those disenfranchised losses where in disenfranchised, again, another big word, and that just simply means they are the losses that aren't necessarily recognized by society because they're not the losses that are big enough like deaths and moves or divorces that we're saying like, okay, well, you were never really married, so it doesn't really count. Or, you know what, okay, so you don't get to play that sport anymore, but you're still going to college. So like, look at what you still have to live for. But those are still like the deaths of dreams. And those are still the deaths of what you thought life was going to look like. So you are still allowed to grieve those things. And I think what what we need to remind ourselves and what we need to remind people is grief is not this thing that should be compared. And again, Brene Brown, who, when we were chatting before we we officially started the podcast, I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Those of you that don't know Brene Brown, I name drop all the time. I aspire to be like her when I grow up. Um, She (laughs) is a social work researcher out of the University of Houston. And she researches a lot about shame and vulnerability, but she also talks a lot about comparative suffering. Um, And like getting into this comparative suffering, like rabbit hole, like, and we do it all the time as humans. Well, like I shouldn't feel you know, I'm not, I shouldn't feel this grief because, you know, it's just, it's just a softball scholarship. I shouldn't be sad over a softball scholarship when there are people who are out there, you know, whose, whose brother has died. You know, they have real grief. Their brother has died. I'm not allowed to grieve, you know, that I tore my ACL and I can't play softball anymore. Yeah. You're still allowed to grieve. That is still a loss. That is still a legitimate loss. And you have still lost your hopes and dreams of what you thought was going to be. We can't compare, it's not even apples to oranges. We can't compare apples to green beans. Like the two don't go together. People are allowed to grieve what was meaningful to them and that meaning making piece. I think what's really important for folks is those support systems and finding people who they can talk to where they have those when we talked about that normal way of grieving Mm -hmm. where they have those feelings of grief validated so really looking at that support system who's around you who can validate those losses you know and it may not be friends and family because sometimes friends and family don't understand our hopes and dreams and again it may not even be They may understand it. What I found when it comes to loss and grief, when it comes to feelings of sadness and the deep rawness that comes with loss and grief, we don't like to see people that we care about suffering and struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And with loss and grief, it's really heavy. You can't fix it. You can't give it a band-aid. There is nothing that you can say to make it better. One of the most helpful things that you can do is you can sit there and you can be present. You can hold what we call the therapeutic space. Not saying cliched statements, not saying anything, but simply being there. 
and then checking back in, checking back in in a couple weeks, validating that, yeah, it really sucks that you can't continue to play softball or it really sucks that, you know what, you're going through this breakup, validating the experience, not trying to make it better, not trying to do the Pollyanna of a look on the bright side because that can disvalidate what a person is going through. But we also, and this is hard when you're in the position of the griever, sometimes as the griever, the person who's grieving, we have to give the people around us permission to not fix it. We have to say, you know, thank you, Courtney, for being here for me. If you really want to be here for me, you can be here for me, but I don't want you to say anything. And I give you permission to not fix it because anything you say to me right now isn't going to make it better. So please stop trying to make it better. What I need from you right now is to just call me once a week and make sure I get out of my house. I especially remember this um, when my brother died. It was kind of like, uh-oh. The person we go to every time a major loss happens just lost her brother. What do we do? Like, we don't know what, like, we go to her when this happens. Now what happens to her? And I almost felt like, a pariah like everyone just like went away because they're like we don't know what to do with you and one of the best things a close friend a social worker friend did was my favorite ice cream place in town was closed you get it you're in massachusetts down here in south carolina all the ice cream places the mom and pop shops are open all year because it's warm here <laughs> yeah. but back up in new york and massachusetts of course they all close in the winter right so she's <laughs> like your favorite ice cream place was closed because it was march so she she just she wrote a card and she gave me a Cold Stone um, gift card. She goes, Humdinger's closed. She goes, but here's a Cold Stone gift card. She goes, I don't know what else to do for you. And ice cream just seemed like the only thing that I could do for you. And please know that I'm here if there's anything else that you need. Simple things like that and validating whatever that loss is. If it's meaningful to that person, and validating that it's meaningful to that person. And if that person gets into that comparative, well, it's not as big as this. Well, yeah, it is because it's something that was important to you. I appreciate how you said that each grief experience is unique and it's important to honor anything that you are feeling. On another related note, can you talk a little bit about COVID and how it has been such a hard and odd time, especially around processing grief? So COVID, and COVID is so hard to talk about like separately by itself. And certainly I can talk about it, you know, through my experience here in South Carolina and kind of what it's, what it's been like. Um, so COVID, and again, you all are at a university up there. I'm in a university down here. And certainly I still have friends and family in New York. Then I've looked at the universities there. We shut down, we got the email shutting us down March 16th. So we kind of hit the pause button March 16th and transitioned online. Um, I have, I'm a mom. I have two kiddos who are seven and 10. So they went to remote learning back in the middle of March too. Um, so grief and loss wise, it was kind of trying to um, navigate as a social work instructor, what the loss looked like as an instructor. And that was very, chaotic. I was in the middle of teaching a class. My students went on break. They came back into the classroom and they said, we're shutting down. I'm like, what? What's going on? Because I had been away from my email because I was in the middle of class. Um, and I'm like, okay, what? And then I'm getting emails from my kids' school like they're shutting down. 
at the time my husband's working as a paramedic. So I'm like, oh, my husband's again, running towards the fire instead of away from the fire. Okay. So my anxiety is just, again, going through the roof as everything around me that I felt like I had fake control over is suddenly like exploding out of control. And I'm like, okay, how do I homeschool kids? How do I flip my classes? And I teach those sort of practice classes. So it's not just like theory and policy online. How do I do really good like practice classes online so my students still get what they need? Um, And then looking at, and I really have been digging into is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How do I make sure my students who are here on campus and they're gonna go back home, some of them cannot the best home um, home experiences and home situations, though Maslow's hierarchy of needs, especially those bottom couple of layers, like those are flipped upside down. Like how are we all navigating this? What like, is uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? So Maslow's hierarchy of needs are basic needs and the bottom rung are like safety and security needs. Um, and there were a couple of um, uh, memes that were out there on social media that was saying with the pandemic, like if you haven't started a new hobby, if you haven't written the best um, the best new novel, if you haven't you know started a new business, you've done the pandemic wrong. And at first I read that and I'm like, huh, I'm teaching my classes. I'm get my kids are getting most of their lessons done. I'm get I'm purchasing toilet paper. Like we're getting groceries. We're doing all the things we need to do, but I'm not doing anything extra. What am I doing wrong? And I was like shaming myself. And then I'm like, wait a minute, no. And I always go back to Maslow. And I'm like, all of our basic needs are flipped and turned upside down right now. Like safety, security, all those very basics. Like we're out there searching for toilet paper. We're out there stockpiling food because we don't know what's happening. My guess is for students there, because I know students here, they turned into essential workers, working in grocery stores, working at gas stations. Um, We're people, and Brene Brown says this too, we're hardwired for human connection. And now we're being told not to go near people. And I had another, professor friends down here who, as we've talked about the pandemic, we've been told to to um, socially distance. We shouldn't be socially distancing. We need to be physically distancing. We need to physically distance, but we need to socially connect. So how do we keep that physical distance to stop the spread, but still socially connect with one another? Because it's that social disconnection where for a lot of us, our mental and emotional health is struggling. So really working with that. Because when it comes to grief and loss for so many of us, and then on top of the COVID pandemic, we've had the the other pandemic that's gone on for over 400 years, the increased racial injustices, where we've been in our homes by ourselves while we're physically distanced, watching the more recent police brutalities happening, trying to process that on our own while we're continuing to isolate. So more anxiety and fear is coming up on top of the fear and anxiety that we have already had. So it's just one thing on top of another, on top of another, where the whole, um, then we have everything going on with politics and an election year on top of that, 
as well. So it's one thing on top of another, on top of another, and it's when is this house of cards going to completely fall apart? Sometimes I feel like I had an assignment due for students. Um, we were looking at the syllabus yesterday and I realized I had a wrong due date in there. So yesterday I'm like, okay, so we're gonna talk about this. And like very gingerly, I was scared to go in. I said, I kind of feel like the big bad wolf right now. I said, so I made a mistake on the syllabus. I said, so let me tell you about this. I said, so it's really due October 28th, but on the syllabus, it says November 4th. I said, but if you really need to keep it on November 4th, you can, because right now I feel like the big bad wolf coming in and just by like saying this day, I feel like I'm blowing on, on you know, the stick house and this is gonna completely blow everything down right now. Because I feel like that's how, how just tentative everything is right now, that one more little like wind thing comes in and we're just that close to everything crumbling because it's been loss on top of loss on top of loss on top of loss and i don't know about all of you and i don't know how things are you know for your students but i feel like down here right now we're hitting that mid-semester point yes we are too yes we are too <laughs> and I, like it's a normal mid-semester but it's a mid-semester in the middle of a pandemic with all of these extra things happening and all of this loss and grief happening and we're all exhausted teachers students counseling staff all of us and we're like it's mid-semester we know we should feel this way but this is like an extra special feeling this way this time so i think it's it's being gentle with ourselves it's saying out loud like yes it is mid-semester but it's mid-semester and we're grieving all of these lot like we're grieving normalcy yeah. We are grieving normal. Like we're, we've been staring at computers since mid-March. We've been staring at computers for over six months. Wow. And Brene Brown, again, in this podcast, um, when she started the podcast Unlocking Us at the beginning of COVID, she talked about first times and what, what the pandemic looked like. Then she talked about, as she, she took a little break and started the second season, she talked about day twos. And the six months is kind of like day twos. And this start of the fall semester was kind of like a day two. Sometimes day twos are even worse than first times because day twos, we know what to expect. And sometimes with day twos, we know what to expect and we don't necessarily like what's about to happen. And for most of us coming into this fall semester, we knew what to expect and we weren't thrilled with how spring semester ended. So, and it's also like, it's triage. We're in the middle of kind of like a hurricane and we're trying to do relief support in the middle of a hurricane and a fire and all of these th and those things have really happened too yes. in the middle of these pandemics so it's been one disaster on top of another and it's kind of like okay what what's going to happen today like what what are we grieving today i think it's really important um for all of us to really take care of ourselves and I struggle a lot when I talk to students about this, and we talk a lot about this in social work, um, about self-care and what that looks like. And students will roll their eyes at me and make noises at me, like I don't have time for self-care. And then I've we have to- been there, done that. Yeah, we have, to, we have to go through and define what does self-care mean. And self-care is not just like man manicures and pedicures and massages and bubble baths and wine. Self-care is eating when you're hungry, Self-care is sleeping when you're tired. Self-care is saying, you know what? I need to cancel those plans because my plate is full. 
self-care is reaching out to a professor and saying, you know what, my anxiety is really out of control right now because of these pandemics and I need a little bit of grace and I'm going to be a day late with, with this paper. But also knowing that that professor could say to you, okay, thanks for letting me know, but you're still going to have points off. Self-care is setting boundaries and self-care is saying what you need and asking for what you need. And self-care is, especially when we're on Zoom all the time and sitting all the time, self-care is getting up and moving your body every once in a while. I'm not saying we all need to be athletes. I'm not saying we all need to hike and run and do all those things. But self-care is getting up and moving every once in a while. Self-care is is taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. So really looking at yourself and how are you feeling depleted? Because it is completely, here we go, normal to be feeling depleted right now. Like if you are not feeling depleted and exhausted right now, tell me what you're doing. Because I think the majority of us are feeling pretty, pretty depleted, pretty depleted. Hmm. Oh, Sarah, this information, I believe, I hope actually, that students take advantage of the importance and the meaning of the grieving process. But before we finish everything, will you mind to provide us like three takes away from this podcast? Three things, three takeaways. If you take away nothing else from today, I think you need to give yourself grace. Give yourself grace when it comes to grief. You are allowed to be grieving right now over anything and everything. Allow yourself to grieve and give yourself grace around the grief. Um, be kind to yourself and each other. Something I've, I've seen that, that's happened a lot lately is just the cancel culture where we've stopped listening to everyone around us the second we disagree with someone. Um, and people have turned really mean to one another. And I think this is a time like, yes, there are certain times where we can shut other people out because they have done things that um, are against human rights, which I can understand that. But I think right now we are shutting down other people and we're not listening to understand. I think we're, we're at that point where we're all so fearful and we're all so depleted that we've stopped trying to listen to each other to understand. At a time where we need to support one another, I think we really need to listen to understand rather than to listen to just shut each other out. And then third, hmm, let yourself cry. I mean, I, that's most people are like, no way, Sarah, absolutely not. And if you can't, you're like, I have not cried in forever. Watch it, like intentionally watch a movie. If you like dogs, watch Marley and Me. I dare oh. you to watch Marley. Yeah, I dare you to watch Marley and Me and not sob. Like sometimes you just need a really good cry. Yeah. It is exhausting, but sometimes it's just like, I'll be like, okay, you know what? Go, I'll tell my husband, go take the kids somewhere. I just need a good cathartic cry and to feel really heavy tonight because I know tomorrow I'm going to feel a lot lighter because I just need to get all of that out. I don't even know what I need to cry over, but I know that I need to get that heaviness out of me. I need that cathartic cleanse. Thank you, Sarah. You're Thank welcome. you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate all of your insight and I know it's going to be helpful to all of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
Thanks for listening. For more content like this, follow us. And if you like what you heard, share with your friends and family. We'll see you next time.